Welcome to the I.O. Podcast, an initiative of the Electronic Communication Committee of the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology, sharing perspectives and challenging ideas on current topics and trends in the field. I am your host, Kelly Stewart. The views expressed in this podcast are solely those of the presenters and guests and do not reflect the views or constitute any official statement of the Society for Industrial and Organizational Psychology. On this episode of the IO Podcast, we'll be talking about entrepreneurship and IO psychology, discussing topics including what it takes to work as an independent consultant, the joys and the challenges of working independently, and for those interested, how to get on the right path to becoming a successful IO entrepreneur. So I understand that you work in higher education at the moment and you're you're able to go sort of back and forth between academia and practice. Um, so while teaching the graduate level courses that you are, uh, you told me that you also take on a variety of different consulting projects throughout the year, you know, time permitting. Um, so tell me about the nature of the, the types of consulting projects you're working on now and as of recent and sort of what have those experiences been like for you? This is Dr. Elliot Lassen. Elliot is a professor and director of the Masters of Industrial and Organizational Psychology program at University of Maryland, Baltimore County in Rockville, Maryland. In addition, he has been a human capital consultant specializing in employee recruitment and selection, talent development, training, and employment law. Elliot has operated professionally in the private, public, consulting, and nonprofit sectors. He's also certified as a senior human resources professional. The diversity of activities is something that's motivating to me. Uh, I take a lot of interest in developing students through classroom, as well as external uh, mentorship and guidance in finding jobs. Uh, I feel that the consulting aspect of what I do keeps me somewhat grounded uh, outside of the university settings. Some of the work that I do comes about through the relationships that I have been able to cultivate uh, within the university. Uh, context. Uh, for example, uh, I just participated as a facilitator in a first-line supervisor training program. Uh, they came about through connections that we were able to get through our advisory board, and they were interested in having somebody come in and talk about uh, management and supervision and specifically communication for first-line supervisors in a nonprofit organization. Uh, that was uh, one recent example. A couple of other examples uh, where I was contacted uh, by uh, attorneys uh, were for court cases, uh, ongoing litigation, uh, in which I served as an expert witness uh, dealing with uh, employment, uh, whether it's wrongful termination or some other aspects of uh, employment as an HR expert. Uh, those are some uh, activities in which I've been involved most recently. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, and it sounds like you've really been able to put yourself out there and gain some, uh, you know, it sounds like some really neat, cool, invaluable experiences uh, along the way. They're very diverse. So, so I'm interested. So tell us what is your favorite consulting project that you've done ever? I mean, and why was it your favorite? That's a, that's a good question. Some of my consulting has been in the private sector. Uh, some of it has been in the uh, public sector. It's kind of hard to come up with a, an absolute favorite. I would say, uh, even though it was a challenging situation uh, at times, uh, one of the most, uh, I guess, intriguing 
uh, was one of the uh, cases in which I was deposed as an expert witness. And it's a very different way of responding to questions. Uh, we're sitting here on a podcast and I'm responding in more of a free flow type of setting. Uh, when you're deposed by an attorney as an HR expert, uh, sometimes it gets a little bit of, uh, combative, uh, as well as uh, challenging credentials and, and things like that. I wouldn't say it was uh, the most enjoyable, but in retrospect, I think it was one of the bigger learning experiences that I've had. And I look forward to doing some more of that work. In your opinion, what types of education or experiences or certifications um, have allowed you to be able to, to, to do these types of things or provide these types of consulting services? Something that I have learned uh, is important in professional practice is putting yourself out there. And uh, growing up, I would have considered myself more of a natural introvert, but based on mentorship that I've uh, experienced and had over the years, uh, I have uh, been encouraged to put myself out there. And uh, a couple of the cases that I've had recently came about through uh, some referral agencies uh, in which you post your credentials. And uh, if there is a match, a potential match for a case that one of these referral agencies has been contacted for an expert witness on, then uh, you'll be contacted and then they vet you out and interview you to find out if your expertise matches, matches what the needs of the case are. Uh, so I would say that there are vehicles uh, to put oneself out there. Uh, those are just some examples, two companies uh, that, I've, uh, that I've worked with. Uh, LinkedIn is a very important part of networking. And I think it's a good vehicle for putting out one's credentials. Uh, I come from a classically trained uh, PhD uh, background. Uh, and over the course of my career, uh, perhaps more recently, I added to that by going out and getting my SPHR certification. Uh, there is a, a process in place for psychology licensure in which I'm currently involved. And putting those uh, credentials on your business card, uh, I think is helpful on LinkedIn uh, as well. And just being out there, going to conferences, not just PSYOP, which is great, and I go uh, on a regular basis to that conference, but there are also uh, other vehicles such as HR organizations. So I have a membership in the local uh, SHRM affiliate. So I'm out there networking. And once again, I've evolved from a natural introvert to someone who has uh, really tried to network and, and keep up with people. And one of the things that I found is that if you are uh, kind and courteous uh, to other professionals, uh, then and, and add value to their careers, then there's a certain spirit of reciprocity out there. Uh, and I found that to be very helpful throughout my career. So when it comes to entrepreneurship and IO psychology and in general, putting yourself out there and being able to make a name for yourself and your brand is so important. LinkedIn, listing those credentials on business cards and handing those out, uh, attending conferences, networking, of course, and just being kind to others in your network and showing reciprocity. These are actions, according to Elliot, that can really help you get your name out there and build a strong reputation as an entrepreneur. Elliot goes on to explain a little bit more about the process of seeking out projects and tips for navigating that initial contact and communication with the client once you're hired on as a consultant. I think one of the things that you can do proactively uh, to build credibility is just simple communication skills and responsiveness uh, to try to understand what the client is trying to accomplish 
and appreciating that and trying to speak to the to the uh, to the client. Uh, there are sometimes some subject areas that uh, a little that might stretch uh, your limits as a consultant, but that's fine uh, and that's that's natural. Uh, and you just have to figure out ways of leveraging what you have as your foundation. Of course, ongoing learning to to, to uh, augment what you already have in your knowledge base and experience, and also to talk to mentors and people who have been there, done that. Uh, I think has been very important in uh, overcoming some challenges, uh, just pragmatics uh, of managing a project and finding out what the what the going rate is for for something that you've not done. Keeping in touch with colleagues and just reaching out to them for their uh, advice, I think has been has been helpful in overcoming any knowledge gaps that that one might have. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, so, tell me about I mean, just just kind of the process of of establishing trust and rapport with these new clients, especially when it's kind of a, an area or line of work that you don't you're not super familiar with, maybe like the situation you were describing earlier, uh, you know, in the in the sort of litigation or, or legal arena. Um, how do you establish trust with the client and credibility? Kelly, the PhD degree is, in a sense, an instant credibility builder, where there's a certain knowledge base that's expected. And that's where some of my uh, teaching that I do uh, and mentorship of students that comes into play where you have the university affiliation. Um, I think that's uh, that's helpful. Obviously, you have to keep the boundaries uh, in terms of what the consulting engagement is. But the fact that you have that institutional uh, connection uh, is is helpful and not just relying on that as well as the credential, maybe the SPHR, which is maybe how they found you uh, to begin with based on the combination of credentials. But as the conversation, the initial conversation uh, progresses, uh, I think one of the, the challenges is showing how one in a situation like this as, as a university professor is also someone that has the real world experience, that you're not sitting in an ivory tower. And based on the progression of my career, my institutional affiliation, at least on a full-time basis, is relatively newfound. And I can go back and talk about some of the experiences that I've had in the corporate sector, in the uh, public sector, in the consulting sector, and in addition to the, the credentials, just showing how, uh, how I've been able to solve problems. Because I think at the end of the day, uh, our role as a consultant, we are problem solvers. And that's why they're calling you. They're calling you because of some problem with the organization uh, or issue with a case in which, on which they need support. And your reputation, if you have been able to demonstrate uh, that you have experience as a problem solver, I think will carry you a long way. So it sounds like you know your experiences, your uh, your degree, your PhD uh, certifications. While they do speak for themselves to to a degree, to a, you know a major degree, um, it does take some communication on your end to communicate your ability to uh, problem solve and strategize as a consultant. Yes, I would agree with that. And part of the communication uh, is just being responsive to the client or the, to the potential client to respond usually by email in a in a thoughtful way to show them that you are thorough in the type of work that you do. Uh, and that can be uh, conveyed through an email uh, that shows that you have a good understanding of the problem and that you might have some potential uh, channels for how to address the problem. Uh, so I, I feel that just simply 
being responsive to the client uh, on the front end, not letting the email you know fester for a day or two or three, getting back to the client in, 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 in a timely way, I think also goes a long way to establishing that credibility and rapport. You know, Elliot makes a really good point about communication with the client and how important even things that we may not perceive as being very significant, such as the way in which we craft the messages and the emails we send, uh, can, can really communicate or demonstrate to the client uh, our ability to identify challenges or problems and address those problems or solve those problems. So next, Elliot shares with us one of his most memorable experiences working as an independent consultant and why his experience on that particular project really stuck with him. One of the interesting projects in which I was involved happened a couple of years ago before I started my current position uh, at UMBC. It was a manufacturing company uh, that had a gap in their HR leadership. And the manufacturing company was in my area and they manufactured boxes and containers for the food and beverage industry. What made it particularly intriguing was the fact that it was very old school in terms of processes and uh, the HR system. There was no fancy HRIS, a lot of file cabinets, a lot of paper. And you came to work and you met with real people that were manufacturing boxes. And there was a certain aspect to that position that oversaw safety. There was a certain aspect to that position that uh, dealt with the benefits that these employees had. And I was told in terms of what I was supposed to be wearing, my dress code, I was overdressed uh, during my interview uh, to meet with the individuals. Uh, and it was a very finite period of time uh, that I was involved in leading the HR. And part of my mandate was to assist the organization in finding the replacement. So I was the bridge between the person who had left and the new person. And one of the, uh, you know, you're dealing with uh, people that uh, uh, don't necessarily have college degrees uh, and the like. And once again, I, I really appreciate, appreciated that experience because it wasn't about the fancy theories and, and the analytical tools that we learn about in graduate school, uh, but it was about solving problems uh, and meeting with real people. Uh, and I think it gave me a certain, uh, a certain perspective for what we do in a very pragmatic way. And I proudly display the uh, empty beer boxes. Uh, there I emphasize empty in my office just to show my students that IO psychologists can be involved in different areas of practice and working with different types of organizations. And every organization is important. And the people, of course, in the organization uh, are important and significant. And you have to use your professional tools in order to, to help, uh, to help uh, their situation. And fortunately, I was able to be successful in onboarding uh, the next person uh, for that position, uh, heading up HR. I was involved in the process, the recruitment, and the interview process. And I was able to hand off the key literally uh, on my last day of that assignment. Uh, so I feel I feel that that was a, a, a really a great experience for me. And I always like to share those experiences in general, as well as some specific stories from that engagement. So for those listeners who are feeling the entrepreneurial spirit, so to speak, and are maybe looking to do some of their own independent consulting work, um, what types of training or credentials or experience do you think are imperative for them to have before venturing out there? One of the things that I've started to do in terms of uh, my networking, and it's something that somebody even earlier in their career can start to obtain some side gigs. 
Uh, once again, you need to network in a variety of ways. You never know uh, what's going to come through. Uh, my definition, Kelly, of networking is a series of ongoing communication uh, points and relationships with the intent of increasing the probability of being in the right place at the right time. So networking diversely through multiple channels, I feel, is, uh, is, really, is really necessary for somebody earlier in their career. Uh, just to give you an example uh, of something that I've been involved in most recently, and it actually came about through some work that my daughter had done in an internship, and that was connecting with a local uh, technology incubator. And I learned about what that incubator was all about, how they uh, help startup companies uh, in a variety of ways. And they have a couple of channels in which uh, I've been involved. One is as a mentor to uh, CEOs that are uh, of these startup companies, as well as workshops uh, on, a certain, on a certain topic. And for example, uh, I've done some on interviewing, uh, behavioral interviewing. And obviously, uh, interviewing is something that most CEOs are concerned with in terms of hiring talent uh, and just boiling down our IO knowledge on, let's say, behavioral interviewing and staying away from some of the technical jargon uh, and just showing them how certain types of questions and rating questions uh, is uh, not only uh, more professionally advised, but also pragmatically going to get them the best, uh, the best talent. Uh, and for somebody who's starting out, uh, chances are there are going to be these groups, these small groups, uh, whether it's an incubator or a, prof a small uh, professional association, a really small professional association uh, that somebody can connect with through networking. And you put yourself out there and you ask the uh, people that are involved in that organization, do you have any needs for workshops uh, or for uh, consulting or advisory? And sometimes you have to just give away a freebie, a free consultation uh, to see what happens and see if there are any takers. And sometimes there will be, sometimes there won't. So I would say that part of putting yourself out there is uh, giving some free advice with the hopes of that being a proactive networking step that will uh, allow them to contact you when they have, when they have specific needs. I'm thinking just maybe for those who are listening to you and they're really interested in pursuing similar endeavors, similar you know pr projects that you've already mentioned or a similar career path, you know as as you're doing kind of fluctuating between academia and practice um, in the way that you're do currently doing now. If you could go back uh, to to the start of your career, so so post grad young Elliot, you know, on top of the world, ready to start his career. Uh, what was, is there anything that you wish someone would have told you or some piece of advice that you wish you would have had that you'd like others to know? I don't have a lot of things that I would have, uh, I would have done differently. Obviously, when you graduate, uh, you graduate from graduate school, you're, you're kind of young and you don't know what uh, first step you're going to get and, and take. Uh, sometimes when you're in graduate school, some of the things that pique your interest are, are research and uh, maybe I want to be an ac academic. Uh, and certainly if you have a PhD, that will allow you to do that. But that's a, that's a little bit of a different, uh, a different track. Uh, I probably, when I graduated, wanted to take more of, uh, more of the outside of the university track. But one of the things that I did do that I, I, I feel was helpful was to maintain that foothold in teaching. Uh, because that kept me involved in the uh, academic arena, even though I was doing some some other things. Uh, so I, I would say that my advice to people uh, coming out of graduate school would be to just try to diversify 
as much as possible. And maybe I could have done a little bit more of that uh, going back and forth, but you kind of can't spread yourself too thin. Uh, but put yourself into a position where if you need to make a change uh, for whatever reason, that you will have the tools in order, in order to do that. And maintaining a diverse portfolio of experiences, as well as uh, exposure to different sectors. I would say within the field of I.O., uh, you have uh, the public sector, you have, which is government, you have the, the private sector, you have the uh, nonprofit sector, you have the consulting sector, then you have the ac academic sector. So you're talking about five or six different sectors. Uh, and often people will go from one to the other and even maintain a dual participation uh, in that. And I, I feel that that has been, uh, that has been helpful to me uh, going back uh, going back uh, many years to when I came out of graduate school, uh, I, I kind of started doing that, and I'm glad that I did do that because uh, where I'm at right now, I think has been a synthesis of many of those many of those areas. Our next guest started on the path to entrepreneurship early on in her I/O career. She tells the story about her journey to becoming a successful LLC founder and share some very valuable lessons she learned along the way. Okay, so um, tell me a little bit about how it all started out for you. So where did your story begin as you know an entrepreneur? Because it seems like you really have a unique story with regard to that. Um, yeah, I think, I think everybody's story is a little unique. This is Kiana Beckles. Kiana is a 15-year entrepreneur, starting out as a consultant post-undergrad at the height of the recession and returning to an entrepreneurship role after graduate school. She officially became an LLC in 2016 and currently serves as an employment selection specialist and the founder and principal consultant of Leverage Assessments LLC, which provides customized psychometric services, primarily to other test development companies. Um, I started out as a consultant after undergrad, um, providing business development services. Um, I graduated with my master's in I.O. from UMBC, and I traveled for a little bit and then moved back home to NYC. Um, you know, big decisions always come after, like, some big life-changing event. <laughs> so um, so I had, I had some family and some personal events um, that were forcing me to think a lot more deeply about the kind of life that I want to live on a long-term basis and, you know, what my success metric is and was and you know how I could be sustainably happy and, and healthy and, and prosperous um, and so I started feeling more and more like the basic system is sort of designed to make you a contributing member of society quote-unquote but the idea is to like provide you with enough income to give to someone else basically in exchange for their time or their resources um so you always seem to be one step behind you always seem to be one payment behind um but you're like close enough that you'll you'll continue to chase um but far enough that you'll never really get there uh just the just the thought of that i think scared me enough to want change to want something different so i decided to step out on my own what was really going through your head at the time, you know, at the point at which you decided um, I'm going to, you know, go a different way. I'm going to take my own route and this is how I'm going to do it. You were, you were, I assume you were making plans, you're making moves. You know, what was going through your head mentally and emotionally? Were you, I mean, were you, were you confident? Did you have self-doubt at all? Oh yeah. I mean, you always doubt yourself. 
you know, I think that what was going through my head was just, you know, there's always sort of that cultural pressure. Um, you have you have cultural pressure, and then you have the the internal pressures that are coming from with you, and it's the battle between those forces, and which one is actually going to win. And cultural pressure is always trying to force you to um, to submit, <laughs> I guess, or to to conform. Um, and so, you know, after getting out of um, grad school, I'm saying to myself, you know, do I want to get back into the market? Do I want to do my own thing? And, you know, I had just heard these lines so many times. I mean, I graduated from undergrad in 2008. So I've experienced, you know, the height of the recession, the low of the recession. I've experienced many years where we just were waiting for it to come back up, you know, and so. Um, I had heard so many times, you know, your work is so wonderful. We just don't have the money right now. Um, you know, when I was an undergrad, I had three or four different jobs and they, they all had hiring freezes. Um, you know, I heard stuff like, oh, your work is so amazing. Could you continue to volunteer? You know, we don't have the budget right now, but maybe next year. Um, or I was working with companies and as I was working with them, they were losing business. They were losing contracts. And then if you get into a good place, what do you do? Do you like sort of wait there for recognition? I mean, I've, I've had that feeling too, where you just feel like you're always going to be seen as the assistant. You're always going to be seen as the person who's there to support somebody else's great work. So it's like how much energy, how many sleepless nights are you willing to spend contributing towards somebody else's bottom line? So that, so those are the thoughts. I think though, and I mean, I don't know if that's typical um, for us millennials. I mean, for, for all of us that were, you know, coming out of school or in around that time, we knew that the, we knew that the hype had changed, you know, because I mean, in the Clinton years, it was always like prosper, prosper, prosper. All you have to do is go to school and you're going to have a wonderful life. And suddenly this dark cloud starts to come upon us in like 2006, 2007. And by 2008, I was graduating and the dark cloud had fully covered all of us. <laughs> so, um, so you just, you had to flip these ideals, everything that you were taught about, you know, education being the magic key, you had to figure out how to make it work for yourself, you know? So do you think that, do you think that with time, you know, it, it, it's, it's been made to be more difficult to become an entrepreneur, especially in, you know, as an IO psychologist, uh, you, you kind of mentioned that back, you know, when you first graduated, it, it was very difficult due to just the you know, the economy and, and certain cultural pressures and things like that. So do you think that, you know, now in, in this period, time period, it, it's, it's more, it's more difficult or less difficult to become an entrepreneur? I find that a lot of that stuff is kind of relative, you know, um, things can, we, we deal with so many different circumstances that it, you can never really tell objectively whether something was more difficult at one time or whether it is, at another, you just sort of have to choose the perspective that you're willing to take and go with it. So wherever I am, I try to take a perspective of optimism and look to see what the upside is of whatever the situation is. So for instance, when I first came out in undergrad um, and started working as a consultant, everybody was downsizing. 
So I found my niche in downsizing. That was my thing. You know, I would come in and I would talk to people about how I could help them make more money. I could, how I could help them get to the next level, how I could help them maximize their resources, save money, um, and still get to the next level while, while cutting costs. So, um, so that became my speciality. If we think of the economy as linear, we're missing out. You know, it's a cycle. You just have to figure out where the money is and, um, and get there. <laughs> um, it's there. You just have to find it. Tell us about, I mean, you've told us about, you know, your journey to where you are now. So can you just tell us about what's going on uh, with, with your practice now? Yeah, sure. Um, I provide psychometric services. Um, I mainly provide those services to other test providers and other publishers. Um, I started out just trolling PsyOps and IPAC's website for like temporary positions, contract positions. Um, and I would literally just kind of do that all night and send out company introductions to the contact persons. Um, I now primarily use Upwork and LinkedIn. Um, and other um, online exchanges to find uh, projects, to find work, to find ongoing clients. Um, and I'm also capacity building. So I'll be presenting at IPAC in Alexandria. Um, and I'll be working on some other marketing and outreach methods. Um, I am not at the point yet where I can take a month long vacation. I still, <laughs> I still am, am the primary full time. Um, play here at Leverage Assessments, but I sometimes use uh, contractors and interns for larger projects. We all work from our respective locations, so I'm in NYC, um, and, but I've had team members in NYC. Um, I have some in DC, uh, I have some in Nigeria, uh, Malawi, uh, one in Romania right now, India, um, and some other locations as well. I have clients in different places also, clients in Singapore, Chicago, NYC, um, prospects in Portland, uh, Ohio, and some other places. Wow. Next, Kiana discusses how important it is to find your own fit when it comes to entrepreneurship. She talks about the importance of knowing what your own personal strengths are and leveraging those strengths and and really being able to identify what resources you have so that you can lean on those resources in a way that leads to favorable outcomes for you. I really do believe that entrepreneurship is really different for everybody. And um, I think I too found, you know, you bump into people who are like, oh, don't do this. Well, absolutely, don't do that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. it's and it's not fair because if that's if that's your strength or if that's your skill set, then it, it puts you down. It makes you think that entrepreneurship is not for you, and that's not. I don't think that that's accurate, you know. And I don't think that that's fair. Um, I think it's just about you know using whatever skill sets you have. So, for instance, like I, I, um, you know, I can be really uh extra you know extroverted on 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 Mondays but on Tuesdays it's like I really just want to sit by myself and you you can't find fault with that you have to find a way to make that your strength you know what I mean so if Tuesday is like the day that you need to be alone then make that the day that you are trolling 
you know, your site, updating content, updating, you know, refreshing, whatever, or make that your working day. And if Monday is your outgoing and extroverted day, you know, stack your networking events on that day, make your phone calls on that day. You know, so I think it's just a matter of finding your fit rather than, oh, well, you must do this, you know, rather than like always making it seem like there are these right and wrong answers. And, you know, I think I think it's a matter of people just you got to find what whatever works for you, you know, whatever you have. Um, if you have an inexhaustible resource of something, find a way to leverage that. You know, um, I happen to, you know, ha have access to properties and stuff. And so I was I was using I had access to some um, resources like an apartment and um, and uh, and I had my car and I was. I was looking at ways to utilize the gig economy. I did that. I used, you know, income from Airbnb so that I was generating some income, which which gave me time to do some planning and gave me time to sort of strategize before I felt like I was stepping out on a ledge. So um, you just, you have to find whatever resources you have and figure out how you can fit them into your master plan. Yeah, and it sounds like you really did that. I mean, with with generating the income from Airbnb, it, I mean, it sounds like you really just have to be creative with your with strategizing, um, on, on you know, on your way. Yeah, creativity is it. I think um, sometimes education can kind of make you feel like there's just one right way to do things. I took a few courses in an MBA program, and um, you know, when you're when you're learning about corporate finance, you know, it have you thinking that you know, everybody's managing, you know, billion dollar assets and huge portfolios and you got to balance the account and you got to do things this way. And this is how it works. But um, you soon realize that there are lots of different ways to do things. And in entrepreneurship, you are almost never going to be using that by the book method. In working with companies, I felt like the reason that they started to um, lose contracts was not necessarily because the work wasn't out there. I felt like it was because they didn't, they, they weren't flexible. Um, and that's why I talk about, you know, just being flexible and being creative because if you stay in a niche, being in a niche is really good because it, it's a more profitable way to be. Um, once you mm -hmm. learn how to replicate processes, it makes it more profitable because you spend less time on them, right? But if you're, if your niche is too tight, um, and you can't to the to the point where you can't move to other clients or to other industries or you know you can't move with the money, then you will suffocate yourself there. Mm -hmm. I always sort of keep in the back of my mind, and I do different things. You know, I do I do applicant screening, I do testing, but I also do I'll do practice tests. You know, and I do different industries. You know, I have a client that is um, that is preparing uh candidates for architecture licensing exam um you know i'm doing a job analysis for anti-terrorism credentials so like you know you're you're always gonna be having to figure it out so um so creativity probably is your most valuable resource i mean i assume especially when you're going off on your own you know at a, at a young age um fresh out of school and you decide to take your own route um, Career-wise, you know, did you have a, a, a support system of any kind? Did you have a, a mentor that was kind of showing you the ropes at any point, or maybe uh, some other type of support system? Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, I had an amazing 
mentor. Um, I'll actually give a shout to Jennifer Geimer. <laughs> she was my, she was, she was um, a part of the, I think Syop, I think that was Syop's mentorship program um, that linked us together. I and mean, she was just amazing. Um, when I was in school and having a mentor was just a confidence booster. You know, whenever I applied for something or whenever I went to do something new, it was like, I knew that I had somebody who I could call. I knew that there was somebody who, you know, I could just talk to about issues and just having all those experiences. Yeah. was, was, was amazing. Um, and resources, um, I definitely benefited from resources. You know, I've had, um, friends help me with stuff. Um, when I was first starting out, I had a friend who was living with me. So we had like a little incubator going on. She was, um, she was stepping out into a new career, um, as a software developer. Um, and so the two of us were there just trying to figure it out, you know, kicking ideas off of each other. Um, I have had my family help me with projects. <laughs> I've had them, um, help me review documents, you know, review job descriptions, um, when I had really tight deadlines. Um, I have had, um, all kinds of friends in my circles that were also entrepreneurs offer me their services for free so that we could do like a bartering arrangement, you know, for everything from, um, software development to lawyers to, um, strategic planning to website design, you know, so I've benefited from all kinds of resources. And then, you know, you have also your small business development centers out there. You have your SDRs out there. You have your incubators, you have your school, and they're always waiting to help you. Um, I've had some amazing professors who I can still call and still do call. Um, but, but yeah, you have, um, you have people who are just, who are gunning for you, you know, as much as we sometimes see the world as, you know, they're against me or oh, it's so difficult. You also have a lot of people who really want you to succeed. Um, and so you just have to seek those people out and kind of hang on to them for a while. Um, but, and they help you. They definitely help you. It's interesting to think about that just knowing that you have people in your corner that truly do support you and want you to succeed can really make a big difference, especially when it comes to pursuing your own independent career path such as Kiana did. Next, Kiana discusses that when it comes to working for yourself, technology and automation must become your new best friend. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn pretty heavy. That's what I maintain the most and that's where I hang out the most. So yeah, people want to find me on LinkedIn. Um, I'm out there and I'll chat and stuff. Uh, <laughs> when you are working for yourself, um, it is, it is a, a tricky balance to be like hanging out on LinkedIn to meet people, you know? And then you got to hang out at these networking events. It gets, it gets really tricky. Like I spend a lot of time just kind of staring blankly at three or four screens <laughs> <laughs> and then people want you to be like exciting and interesting <laughs> like, <what? laughs> i'm like i'm just trying to memorize these item writing rules but i am on linkedin <laughs> and i do and i and i have managed to sync all of that stuff 
Um, I am, and I'm learning about Siri, and she's hooking my calendar up so that I can do stuff, <laughs> meet more people. Yeah, because trying to do everything manually is yeah. just gonna drive me insane. So as yeah. much as I can automate, I just I just try to automate. Um, so I'm trying to get her to do more so I can do less. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so that I can be on LinkedIn more. I think you found me on LinkedIn. I feel that on a spiritual level. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so so I am there. Yeah, people want to find me there. And the website, I think the website is going to have a chat function soon. So if people come to the website, the URL is leverageassessments.com. I'll be there too. Okay, um, so just to close up, you know, to people that are listening, what advice, um, if any, do you have for young entrepreneurs, uh, people that are about to graduate or, or just graduated, you know, looking to pursue a career path similar to yours in, in, a field, in the field of biopsychology? Um, I think everyone's path is really different. Um, so you just have to keep going. Um, the toughest battle, you know, that we fight is within ourselves. You know, after you go out and you've made your big pitch, um, you have to come home and live with whatever decision that you make. So um, just make sure that you have defined success for yourself and you know what is going to allow you to sleep at night and wake up joyfully um, because that's what's going to allow you to keep going. You know, I think that um, for me and maybe for others, we're always worried about perfection. You know, oh my God, this thing's got to be perfect. Um, but I think that what has really helped me is just focusing on iterative development, you know, moving forward in increments, moving forward one step at a time. Um, and you will constantly move toward perfection. Whether you ever get there or not, you'll, you'll realize that you, in the process of that journey, you will have created um, a business loop. You will have created business processes that you have refined over and over and over again and that actually becomes your your business loop or your business model so um so just keep going um try not to spend your time doing menial tasks as much as you can automate we have the amazing use of technology nowadays so try to find you know if there are new apps out there that can help you know, review uh, that can help you search for proposals, you know, use a a web scraper, use a, you know, YouTube is an amazing resource. Um, You can learn how to do anything and everything. Um, So if if it's ever possible to maximize your time by by automating your processes, that's exactly what you want to do. You want to spend more of your time performing higher level functions because that's what's going to, that's what's going to allow you to grow and develop. Um, and you know, just like what you spoke about, use your resources. Um, if you have friends or mentors or people that you can reach out to that will help you, um, our government offers a lot of resources as well. Small business development centers. Um, you have incubators. There are always pitch competitions or um, accelerator programs that you can get into. Um, F6S is a platform that kind of wraps all of those offerings up in one place and you can literally just get on there and search for accelerators for people who are investing um, in companies like yours and a product like yours. Um, so just work some of those search engines to 
to find money, to find resources, or to find whatever it is that you're looking for. Um, but yeah, I think I think most most of all, I would say just keep going. Whatever you're doing, if you um, if you quit, you're not gonna win. <laughs> so the only way to win the game is to keep going. IOPsych Entrepreneurs, or IOPE, is a new support networking group hosted by the PSYOP Professional Practice Committee. IOPE's mission is to build a vibrant and thriving IO business community by connecting IO entrepreneurs with each other and with new opportunities. Visit iopsyche.mn.co for more information. If you're interested in learning more about or connecting with the guests on this episode, you can contact Kiana on LinkedIn via linkedin.com slash n slash Kiana Beckles and uh, check out her website at leverageassessments.com. You can also contact Elliot at uh, linkedin.com slash n slash Elliot Lassen, L-A-S-S-O-N. I'm your host, Kelly Stewart. Thank you for listening and uh, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the IO Podcast. Not a member yet? PSYOP membership gives you the edge you need in a competitive workplace. Find out more at www.psyop.org. As always, thank you for listening to this episode of the IO Podcast. We hope you enjoyed, and if you have any comments or suggestions for podcast guests or topics, please feel free to tweet me at Kelly S underscore Stewart. I'm your host, Kelly Stewart. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this discussion and stay tuned for more to come on the next episode of the IO Podcast.